listening to Sugar House Sound. Today's podcast is brought to you by Opportunity Quest. Opportunity Quest is a Westminster College student business plan competition with $10,000 worth of prize money and guaranteed Westminster student slots in the University of Utah's business plan competition, as well as state and nationally run competitions. To hear more about it, join us in Bassist on Tuesday, November 10th at 5.30 for the Final Help Workshop, where we will have information, registration opportunities, and free food. At this workshop, you will be able to ask questions and receive help on any facet of the competition requirements or stage of the process you might be in. If you're interested in Opportunity Quest but unable to make it to the event, please contact Johnny Ethington or Miguel Villa through their school emails. Hello, my name is Carly. Um, I am here from the Feminist Club. We're, we're joined by Chase Ross. Hi, I'm Chase. I'm Levi Barrett, and my preferred pronouns are he, him, and they, them. I'm Ryan Luray, and my pronouns are they, them. I'm Jamie, and I use they, them pronouns. I'm Eileen Chansa Torres, and my pronouns are she and her. Okay. All right, so um, the topic at hand is following Chase Ross's... Sorry, I'm going to do the whole name, Chase Ross. Um, Chase Ross's talk last night um, at the Bastion Lecture se- Series. So how do you, what do you think about our campus, Chase? I really like it. It's really nice. Um, I like that it's small but also very open. But also the people are really nice here. And I'm really into the gender-neutral bathrooms that are on campus, but I think we're going to talk about that a little later on, so let's not... <laughs> well, why don't we start with the gender-neutral bathrooms? What was the initiative? I think Levi um, was part of the, the push. Um, I was not part of the push, but uh, <laughs> um, the gender-neutral bathrooms were already existing. Um, Noemi and Nicole Tyler <clears throat> organized to put all gender signs on the bathrooms, so it is apparent that they are gender-neutral bathrooms and available to gender non-conforming students. But those are only the single stall, right? Yes, they're all single stall. And then they're in how many buildings? There is one in the library. Um, There are multiple in Foster. There is one in Shaw. I think that's it. Is that what you think the goal was? Is that the goal to just only have? I'm not sure what the goal. I, I mean, ideally, ideally there would be um, gender neutral bathrooms in all buildings because if you have a class in Gore and your closest bathroom is in the library, it's not really feasible to get there and back in your 10 minute break. But hopefully we could move toward that in the future. But is the goal just to have single stall bathrooms in all the buildings, or can we con- consider or contemplate the goal being all bathrooms being gender neutral regardless of whether or not they're single stall? Or is that not something we're ready for? I mean, I think I think that'd be a better, like a bigger. It would be ideal. Um, I think there's. I think there's a lot of um, education around like trans identities and being accepting of people being in the space that you like don't think they would be in um, before. Like I think safety comes first before moving on to having multi-stall bathrooms 
and my concern for safety is more around gender nonconforming students because um of course like the question of safety of students of cis cis meaning non-trans people people who identify with a gender they were assigned at birth um i think their safety if like is in question but i think that would be a larger issue of just campus safety true but um since i'm the old lady in the room um there used to be a tv show called alec McBeal. i don't know if any of you Jamie, you're nodding yes. Um, so Alec McBeal, <laughs> it was some ridiculous, it was one of these terribly good, bad shows. Um, and they had, the premise was ridiculous. There were a whole bunch of attorneys and they wore extremely inappropriate clothing for um, going to court. Um, I'm re- I was really aware of it because my sister is an attorney. And so she was obsessed with the show and talked about how she could never wear such a miniskirt. Anyway, but they had bathrooms where everyone used the same bathrooms. Um, so the concept of um, everyone using the bathroom has been introduced to po- through popular culture. Um, but I guess the concern more is safety, but how can we train? Like, what would be the best way? Is there a way to go about training folks to to understand the process? I mean, to understand the process of going to the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> beyond the nature calling. Like, what would, what, would, what, would need, what would be the need? What would we need to do um, as a community, as a college? Okay, well, I feel like there is this fear of, like, we need to protect women and children, or there's, like, this fear of, like, foreign genders um, entering bathroom spaces. No, I think that's a fear that, like, cisgender people feel about um, opening, like, bathroom spaces to being, like, all genders. But there's, like, overwhelming data that, like, shows that... Trans people are the ones that are experiencing, like, issues and violence in the restrooms. It's not um, people abusing the system, like, men trying to get in the women's bathroom to be inappropriate. Like, that's not what's happening. What's happening is trans people are um, facing unsafe situations. And so there, I think, just is a general uh, misconception about the issues that would arise from having multiple genders in one bathroom space. I don't know. But how will we combat that? I mean, just to say this is the problem and this is the problem that we can't seem to move forward from seems like we're just stuck on step A, right? Because if the larger concern for us is the safety of our trans students and um, feeling validated within our campus and knowing that they're welcome in our campus, then... How do we move from just, okay, here's the bathroom issue. The bathroom issue, which I think has been spoken about, we spoke about it last night um, with Chase. Um, How do we move from like, it seems like we're just stuck on point, like the first step, and we don't seem to move forward from that. Um, There has to be, I don't know, I mean, I I wonder, what what is the best way to approach that? Um, Does that make sense? Like, how do we go beyond, okay, this is the problem. And we cannot choose, pick and choose, like, okay, only this building will be the building where you get to use the bathroom. And then the rest of us get the privilege of using the bathroom in every building. Um, the only thing that I can think about is maybe having people all around really understand that. But I feel like that's also just step one. 
right? Having people understand that everybody needs to use the bathroom and not in just one building. Like if you have to run across campus to go to the bathroom, like that's just a little bit ridiculous. Um, but it's obviously happening. Um, but I don't know what the next step would be. I mean, if you don't have people understanding that everybody goes to the bathroom, which maybe people don't understand. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, should the next step then be forcefully saying this is a gender neutral bathroom? Yes, it has multiple stalls. And maybe in the men's, what is now the men's bathroom, remove the urinals so that everyone has to use a stall. And just saying, okay, now this is what we're doing. And this, this space requires this type of respect. Um, I mean, I could already, as I say it, already know what the, what the dangers are. <laughs> Do you want to pipe in, Ryan? Um, I guess, um, well, I think the problem actually would be, wouldn't be so much with um, students kind of accepting um, gender neutral bathrooms that are multi-stalled, I guess, but more of convincing the people who are in charge that this is a thing that matters and this is a thing that needs to change um, because I think those people are the ones who will have these, um, again, the idea of women and children in the bathroom and how that they're going to be treated um, by supposedly, you know, anonymous men who just go into the bathroom to harass people, so. So you think the first step is administration? Okay. Yes. <laughs> Making sure that everyone feels safe enough in the area as it is, and then progressing forward to also including trans people, gender nonconforming. So do you don't think the bathroom issue is the first issue that we should address as a campus? Well, I think I think it's it should be one of the first that in housing reform, which we will get into later. Um, right now? Yeah, we, okay. Yeah, we could do that right now. Okay. <laughs> I mean, perhaps you could tell us what your experience has been with housing or anybody else who wants to pipe in and tell us about their experience in housing on campus. Yeah. Um, well, here at Westminster, um, there is not a choice for first-year students in the regular resident halls to choose a gender-neutral floor and or really any any resources for trans students as first years um, living on campus um, so I think that that would be the first step because if you if a if a trans person is automatically put with someone else of their sex assigned at birth meaning the birth, the gender they were given at birth, um, <laughs> um, then that automatically outs them as being trans. If they are on hormones and they are passing, um, that automatically outs them versus if we have gender neutral housing and or a floor could be gender neutral, have gender neutral bathrooms that are multi-stalled. So at least there's... Um, gender-neutral bathrooms in at least one of the resident halls. Um, <clears throat> I think that would be a really great move forward. Now, my experience with it? Well, you had already proposed to the college. You had created a proposal, did you not? For Okay, can you t tell us a little, bit, a little bit about that? Yeah, so what their proposal included was... Do you remember the title of your proposal by any chance? Gender-inclusive housing proposal. There you um, go. What a, what a great title. Yeah. <laughs> right, to right to the point. You know, not too fancy. Just 
got it across. Um, so what that included is reform for not only the application process, so it would allow for people to sign up for gender neutral housing and also more description of because right now um, in applications for housing and across the school um, there's simply a male box a female box and a transgender box having simply just a transgender box isn't necessarily enough detail Um, there are multiple like transgender is one umbrella term um, and there are multiple identities within that um and some people don't even identify with the word transgender who are gender nonconforming. Um, so that was one step. And so through this application process, people could, um, it would be a anonymous way for people to like gather a number of students who want to be on the gender, non- like gender neutral floor um, instead of because other some other colleges have options for a gender neutral like housing in first like for first year students but they have to find their own roommate which if you're coming into a new college a new city a new space you don't really have and you're 18 just leaving your parents homes for the first time right yeah like, yeah. like you don't really have unless like it's hard to come in here and be like okay Hi, I'm trans. Who wants to be my uh, roommate? <laughs> like that's that's not really a great thing to ask students to like automatically out themselves the second they get on campus. Um, so that would be, that applic- through that application process, there could be a administrative and anonymous way of students being like, I am trans. This is what I want for my housing to look like. Um, and so. There would be a gender neutral floor um, either in Hogel or Carlson um, in the traditional dorms because then that's also um, financially like applicable to everyone because there is like the apartments in OL and Bankin, um, but they are more costly. And of course, we, yeah, of course. I was just going to say, and Westminster on the draw is very expensive. Yeah. So um, if we do have these options, they should be feasible for everyone. Um, And so moving on to the upperclassmen, because now sophomores have to live on campus for the second year, um, it's required. So um, they have a gender neutral um, policy in place, but um, it's basically just like if I wanted to room with other as a trans masculine non-binary trans guy I would have to sign a paper that says that I'm female and I'm okay with living with guys um which for like (laughs) which is also like not affirming of my identity of that I have to like we all if I'm living in a group of guy like with guys then we like they have to sign it and it's not affirming of my gender at all I get for legal reasons that's necessary in a little bit. <laughs> what do you mean that you get for legal? Re- like, what do you mean by that? Legal for that. whom? Like for the college, so they don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> no one explained it to me. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I mean, just moving. I feel like moving past that. Um, I understand that if someone, if there are two cis students and you would need that to be like, there's a woman and a man living together. But if there's like someone who identifies as 
a man or a trans woman or like whatever, then they don't have to sign that same paper because that is like completely ignoring their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like the reality is is students are eighteen and older. Um, we already have co-ed floors in the dormitories. Like, I don't feel like uh, these requests are that far off of a, a that big of a stretch for existing conditions. And that with some um, proper information and knowing about these issues, I think that it wouldn't be that difficult to uh, make some of these changes that would be like changes to the paperwork, to the process, things like that, that would make this entire process feel um, less alienating for trans students. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, I think, something that's achievable on campus. It just needs to be gone about in the right ways. Yeah. Um, and needs to include the experiences of actual trans people on campus. And it's hard, I think, sometimes. Um, we think of, again, trans is such a large umbrella term, and it's hard sometimes to explain and understand um, the wide variety of trans experiences that exist within the trans umbrella term. And it's a little tricky, but it's not impossible to be understanding, confidential, and accommodating to the needs of the students on campus. Mm-hmm. Well, something that you said, actually, um, Levi, um, and it's been my experience in the classroom. Um, you said that I understand. You 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 said you stated that multiple times, right? Like these are the needs, but yet I understand how difficult it is. And I think, um, I mean, I guess I'm going to ask everyone: um, Does it seem like the trans individual is put upon to be constantly understanding? Of how the system does not accept their spa- you know, does not make space for for them within certain spaces, because saying I understand um, as a cisgender woman, it's I just want to scream and go, don't fuck, don't fucking understand. <laughs> Sorry, I cuss. Um, don't don't fucking understand, right? Like, be a little bit more aggressive. Um, but then again, that's the privilege that I have, right? Um, that I don't have to. I don't have the same fears. Mm. Um, so I don't know if you guys want to speak a little bit, um, and there I gendered everyone, um, if you all want, would like to speak um, to your experience of that notion of being understanding, of constantly being understanding to the limits, <laughs> to these ridiculous limits that um, the rest of us put upon, you know, you. Um, well, I think especially in my experience um it is difficult but you there's no you definitely have to meet people where they are um and i think in that like of course like the radical feminist in me like queer politics is like just wants to like flip tables and be like (laughs) this is basic human rights but that's not that's not how academia works like that's not also that's not a feasible way to just be like (laughs) 
what I would actually argue against that it is how academia works. I mean, as a Puerto Rican, the reason why I'm here is because people in 1969 said, fuck it. I am going to flip tables. I am going to um, stand in front of buildings. I'm not going to let people in because you have to let my kind in. Um, so not that I'm inciting anything, um, <laughs> but I wonder. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I wonder if, if somebody else wants to speak to, sure. to that experience. Um, and something that um, one of the students talked about last night um, where they asked, like, you know, when do I get to start feeling safe? And one of the things I think that as queer people we all understand is we will never be safe. Um, we don't, the system's not made for us. Um, and we should be flipping tables. Um, we should be really upset. Um, it's ridiculous. And I, yeah. I kind of agree with um, Ryan and Eileen. I think that, I mean, although I agree that academia isn't set up in a certain way that is kind of accepting of people wanting to make radical change, um, I definitely like, I mean, I can speak from personal experience just with my experience in the feminist club. I definitely like experienced some pushback this past year because I wanted to make the club radical and inclusive of all identities and there were definitely people who disagreed um, with me on that point and I think a, a major concern was that people didn't think that there was a radical queer feminist presence on campus and I think that just the fact that like our membership has tripled since last year kind of shows that that's not the case um, but I don't know if that necessarily would have would have happened if me and some of my fellow feminists and gender equality enthusiasts wouldn't have like really pushed for it to happen yeah i agree i think a lot of times like one 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 way that um people often like slow down progress is well there aren't enough people that will want that and i think one very obvious like um, outcome that you've found is that there are a lot of like radical queer feminists at Westminster and often I hear like there aren't any there aren't that many trans students at Westminster but I think it, well first of all it doesn't matter <laughs> um, even if there are five of us there needs to we need to feel safe um, under title nine um, even if there's just one of you Right. Yeah, even if there's just one, like their safety, our safety and our um, like presence and consideration in housing and in bathrooms is important. And and I think once those things progress forward, you'll find that there aren't just five trans people, that there are gender nonconforming people all throughout Westminster campus community and students and faculty and staff like you build it they will come <laughs> well chase i wonder if um something you mentioned i think it was earlier today um you said that there's there might be a difference when you were when you started making your videos um your extremely popular videos um they you said that there is a difference now in the process for um how to inhabit a trans identity, 
right? Like it's different. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what perhaps have you seen in the last five years as you've been making these videos and creating such a presence on, you know, the internet. <laughs> the internets. Um, <laughs> I feel like throughout my transition and making videos, like the way that I thought about myself and my identity has definitely changed. But when I think about how I react to other people, I'm still saying sorry. And I'm still apologizing, not apologizing for being trans, but it's almost like I'm apologizing for being here and like asking for things to be right. Even if it's just for one person or for five people, it's, it's what you said was like so right when people are always like, oh, um, it's not really important. There's only like two of you. I hear that all the time. I've heard that <clears throat> um, throughout my transition, especially in like the medical field. Like, doc, oh, there's not that many of you. Like, we don't really need to learn about this. Like, are you kidding me? It, don't make your patients feel comfortable. Um, and I thought maybe it was just the Canadian me that apologizes for everything, but it's good to know that, it, not good, but it's reassuring to know that other people also, like, oh, like, I understand that, like, you might not understand, but, like, you know, take some time. No, we should be flipping tables, um, and we're not, but a part of me is also like I don't really want to flip tables because I want people to understand us and not see us as like we want things because I want things you know I don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. does that make any sense yeah you have like a laundry list for Santa Claus and yeah, yeah. yeah. a laundry list yeah. for Santa Claus yeah all these things that I want and yeah. I want it to happen and I want yeah. it to be without struggle and yeah. without magically happen um, but we have to like ease people into it like oh here's one thing that you can do slowly and then like oh here's another thing yeah so you're afraid that like if you're too aggressive then people will kind of see that instead of seeing what you're actually fighting for yeah I mean I'm not saying that like one person being angry about things that we're supposed to be getting is going to represent the entire community but a lot of people just like look at one person in the trans community and see them as like the entire trans community so i'm always afraid that if i'm speaking up too much or if i get like really angry about something that we should deserve like gender neutral bathrooms or something at my university um i'm like i'm afraid that people are just not going to do it because of the way that i'm talking about it so i feel like i don't i don't remember was it Levi, that you said that we need to meet people at a certain point when we talk to them. It's the same thing about like being a, like when you try to call people out. You can't start screaming and swearing at them. They'll never listen. You have to go with it like, oh, like just to let you know. But then again, I'm saying the sorry thing. See, it's, it's just a circle. It's not working. Yeah. Well, Melissa Harris Perry talks about um, if you want, because what you're referring to is stereotypes, right? Like you don't want to perform the stereotype of whatever is it in the head of the other person, right? Or the yeah. group that you're asking for. But Melissa Harris Perry talks very specifically um, in Sister Citizen about um, the stereotype of the angry black woman and um in the political realm the this the role of the angry black woman and we could even actually talk about the angry black latina uh, the latina because <laughs> there's two latinas here <laughs> um the it could be politically fruitful in certain moments Right. When you do give in and do you do perform this kind of angry, you make that angry performance as a means to call attention. But the double edged sword comes with the dismissal. Right. So there is like it's oh, sometimes it's a you know, loose, loose situation where you do call attention to this problem. 
but yet you perform you're performing the stereotype and therefore everyone's shutting down around you um and i think that that's a struggle um that certainly breaches um oppressed groups right um how do we how do we get our voice heard and demand our human rights but at the same time not fall prey to the stereotypes that surround or involve you know like envelope us right so the idea of the bathroom issue um well if you let and I'm going to use, and, and I'm purposely saying men into the women's bathroom, right? Refusing to recognize trans women's rights um, because they're there for something, you know, um, violent or for some kind of sexual deviancy, um, not just to use the, you know, the fucking bathroom. Um, how do you make yourself seen in that space? How do you make yourself loud enough to go, no, I have the right to be here, um, but yet not play into well, look, it's an aggressive human being who wants to violate the space in some way. Um, and I think it is a, it's it's an unfortunate way of going about it, but um, this, um, I don't know if anyone wants to comment on that. Um, I just want to say one thing um, related to that. I mean, it's kind of what you're saying, but it's almost like, oh, the angry trans people, like they're just being angry. We're not going to give them what they want, but they're like, they're like, oh, like, oh, I'm trans, but like, I understand. Like, we're, maybe we'll like consider because like you're abiding by, like you're kind of, like we can look down on you. No, I, I don't know how to say it. I'm looking for a word, but I, I'm tired. <laughs> I think a lot of times um, people confuse emotional investment with weakness um, in a, white supremacist um patriarchal society um (laughs) and so i think a lot of times when black women and latino women speak up and like make space for themselves the angry the anger and like the frustration is seen as weakness when really it should be seen as like like passion because it is well melissa iris paris says to suggest the the problem with the stereotype is that it suggests that there's no reason to be angry, right? So if your child, if you are being arrested, if your child's being killed, like if all these are the possibilities that they're going to happen to you, um, and that student um, who was a high school kid who asked the question, when does the fear go away? I mean, I I lost it. I started crying. I was like, goodness gracious, to live a life of fear for our children it's just that's not we should be angry about that right anger is the right response in that moment right and i what i felt was helplessness right like because you do feel helpless um and yeah the the idea that anger is not the that we've dismissed anger as if that isn't the right response is the part that's the most frustrating right we should be angry we should be like everyone has the right to be safe um and that's not what's offered to us in multiple different ways, right? Um. I think for me, um, I think I have gotten to this point now where I have accessed some part of like inner strength where I'm passionate about the things that I'm passionate about and I'm unapologetically loud about it. And when people apply those stereotypes to me or if people want to look at me and say that I'm over-emotional, I've kind of just let go of this myth that I can control that or that I can prevent the way, like I can prevent those stereotypes being applied to me. So I speak up about things that I care about 
and I guess I've, I mean I guess that might be a little bit cynical but I just feel like you you can't ever really control how people perceive you so all you can really do is stand up for what you care about and what you believe in and if people want to like look at you and say oh she's an angry Latina well fuck them <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you can't do anything about that right. um, certainly um, but I wonder um, of course as a professor here right um, as a visiting professor here um, which might not you know might not happen anymore because I'm inciting students to flip tables um, <laughs> Um, I wonder, um, I've had instances in the classroom where I certainly have been wrong, especially when it deals with um, gender issues that go beyond um, my training, right? Um, when I was in grad school, um, I had quite a few folks who started with me who were working on um, trans theory, um, queer theory, and my approach towards queer theory was very limited. I said, well, since I'm doing black diasporic literatures that concentrate on the representation of black women, then I'm just gonna look at um, black feminist queer um, theory. And so I felt comfortable and safe and like, oh, I'm doing my part, somebody else is doing their part. And of course that doesn't work in the real world because as soon as I was in the classroom and um, you know the power that we have in the classroom as professors, as a woman of color, my power is constantly being questioned and it's, it goes, it fluctuates. Um, but um, I have multiple moments where um, students, wonderful students show me my blind spots. And um, I know that saying, oh, they were freaking brave is, is perhaps kind of, um, may seem dismissive, <laughs> but I, I think that they were, I don't think they were so much brave as, I mean, yeah, they were ballsy, right? Like, again, I'm gendering shit because that's the way language works. Um, but um, I'm so grateful for those moments where students did stand up. And it wasn't a moment of violence, you know, they didn't, they didn't tell me off. Um, but I appreciated these moments of being told, okay, no, you are completely misconstruing this, you're missing this. And I wonder what your experience has been in the classroom. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to your experience, or maybe Chase wants to speak to his experience um, in another college that's not this one, um, about how do you confront those moments where you are angry, something bad did happen in the classroom, um, and you want to you wanna address it. How do you... How do you handle that? Um, it's sorry. <laughs> um, it's really tricky and it really depends on the situation. Um, one time, before I changed my name and stuff like that, I had to email the professors and tell them, "Oh, this is my name and these are my pronouns." And I didn't always get an email back from the professors. So I was like, "Oh, did you not get this email?" So I would freak out in class, like, "Oh my God, are they going to say my name?" And one time, one professor took attendance. No one takes attendance in university, but he did. And he said my old I name. I do. Oh, okay. Well, no one at Concordia. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, then. Um, <laughs> he was taking attendance, and he didn't get the email and said my old name, and I was like, I'm not saying anything. But then after class, I decided to go after class instead of just emailing to like actually go talk to him and like show him my face just so that he knows who I am um, and be like, oh, I sent you an email um, about my name. And his reaction was amazing. He's like, I'm so sorry. Here's my personal email. And then like, that was great. That was a good example of what happened. But then there's some things that happen in other classes that 
are just not they weren't fun to deal with because it's hard to hear students say really transphobic things um because i haven't really had any issues with professors but it's when students have said things and they're like little things but they still there's still things that other people have heard and sometimes i can't even speak up because i just not that i'm embarrassed but i'm scared like it's not that i don't want to out myself it's that i don't want to be a target for the person to keep talking and i don't want to get into a huge debate in class when the class isn't even about anything that is related to this so i'm i always try to take the safe route which i shouldn't i should be flipping tables but apparently i'm not (laughs) um but one more instance that happened was um it was just a professor gave us a textbook i decided to look up the trans definition because I always like to do that and it said something horrible about trans people that like all of them are straight and no people will ever date trans people because they're trans I couldn't believe that this was actually like in a gender textbook and I brought it up to the teacher and she was like oh yeah I mean that's why I don't teach on trans things and I just like looked at her like what so (laughs) you pick a textbook that has this definition sure the textbook has definitions of great other things that you want to teach in the class but you want to talk about trans things but you can't because this specific textbook says that trans people are going to be alone forever and are all straight like why don't you bring up that part in the textbook and be like oh this textbook this textbook is like really inappropriate this is why they're saying this and then like maybe bring up some research and like talk to trans people i don't know that was like really but i like told her like that's not okay to do i don't know if she did anything though but (laughs) probably not (laughs) i think pointing to like what you were talking about of like the microaggressions but building that larger to not just microaggressions and full-on aggressions in in the classroom and not necessarily feeling safe and like of course microaggressions and everything like builds up and so like the point of microaggressions is that they are small but they are continual and constant (laughs) well and i think something you kind of touched on chase was like the huge issue of safety and like sometimes you have to be in a position of privilege to even be able to bring these things up like as um a white and a like masculine identified person i feel like i definitely have an easier time making these requests um or calling out a professor or things like that than um, other people may. And um, I think that also that's like an important thing to keep in mind with this discussion that we're having is um, like all of our experiences as trans people in this room are um, privileged enough to the extent that we're here having like this conversation about this podcast and that there's like voices that wouldn't be able to be in this situation here too and so like there's unfortunately like a privilege of being able to call people out and like sometimes that's not an option for people to uh address these aggressions these microaggressions and things like that so um i mean all i was gonna really say is um you know, the role that we play in the classroom and if we take like kind of like that activist like anger, like playing into like that whole like queer stereotype of the flamboyant like activist like running down the street naked thing. Cause that's still like is around. <laughs> that is still around. It's still around, I promise. I got it the other day. I was like, wait, oh this goodness. is still a stereotype that we think about. 
I've never heard that. It's like before a no, pizza like, epidemic, yeah? Yeah, well, like, you know, like pride, like, you know, the idea mm-hmm. that, like. Yeah, I thought you meant okay. recently, like right now. No, <laughs> no, but like, it's still a stereotype. Um, but, you know, playing into that role, um, being the angry, degenerate, queer person, um, is like not only like, you know, of course it's unsafe because, you know, we live in a patriarchal, colonized, heteronormative world, um, but also because um, that takes a toll on the person themselves. And it's hard. It's hard to be at the front lines fighting not just for yourself, but for other people. Um, That's hard. That kind of leads into a question that I had for Chase. Um, You briefly touched on last night um, that through your transition, self-care was something that was like definitely important for you. Um, And I was kind of wondering if you'd be willing to share with everyone um, what your, like what you personally do for um, self-care, especially through your transition. In the beginning of my transition, like I talked about last night, I didn't know that that was an important part of transition because no one had ever talked about it. And for me, it's important and for other people that I've talked to, but um, I mean, I don't know if everybody feels like that. Um, What I do now to uh, kind of take care of myself is I try to disconnect from the community online because there's a lot of things that happen online in the community also, but I also go away from anything that's translated on the internet. Um, Just because there's so much hate, like, don't read the comments, but we all read the comments. Like, literally, I will not read the comments, you know, to take care of myself. Um, And I, what I like to do is not just disconnect from, like, like the internet, but also tell people around me, like, oh, I just need some time. So it's it's self-care, like, period, but it's also self-care within my transition. So I guess the transition part is just, like, online, like, disconnect from that completely, but then, like, personally, like, I just need to disconnect from people and just, like, think about myself, because I talk a lot about being trans, and I advocate a lot for trans rights and stuff like that which I'm fine with but I guess sometimes I just need to like take a little break um, because it is a lot to deal with with people on the other side like not being okay with trans things and you're constantly having to fight for yourself and other people which I don't mind doing but like I said when you always do it all the time sometimes you just need to be like be right back I just need to take care of myself and then I'll come back and fight in like five minutes (laughs) when I was I mean I was lucky with the undergrad that I went to I went to the City College of New York um which is a CUNY school, um, and it's in Harlem. And um, I, I went to school with predominantly people of color. Um, there were very few traditionally aged students. I wasn't one of them. I was I was one of I was one of these older students. Um, but one thing that I see, and so when class discussions started, like most of the white folks in on campus were professors. Um, the rest of us, we were just all people of color, uh, mostly immigrants. Um, so I was extremely lucky that that's the undergrad that I went to. But when I went to grad school, of course, everything flipped around. Um, there were very few people of color. And one thing that I didn't realize how privileged I was when I was an undergrad was that when I would object to something, some horrific racist thing that someone would say, or predominantly some sometimes are professors, um, I would have like a course of folks who would just be like damn straight right and just like take over um and that was great but when i went to grad school 
suddenly I was most of the time the only person of color in a room and just going no that was terribly racist (laughs) one of my favorites when I was in grad school was uh, there was this one person who would only speak to me when she wanted to know what Puerto Ricans thought about something and so like she would like see me down the hall and be like hey what do Puerto Ricans think about this never ask me at any other point oh or any God. other moment um, what I thought about anything else and what happened really fast my first semester I wasn't even halfway through my first semester as a grad student that I was burnt out and so no one had told me about racial fatigue <laughs> which was when you are the one person who the professors turn to or you're the one person that everyone turns to when suddenly it's about um, racial identity, well, racial identity that, that, that was around Latino or um, people of African descent, like suddenly the room, everyone would just turn to me. At no other point did they want to hear my voice. At no other point did they want to hear my opinion. But when it came to um, issues of race, um, they were like, well, what, 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 does, what, does, what does the person of color or what they were probably thinking, the color thought um, in the room. And of course I took the bait always took debate man I never learned my lesson I, I didn't learn my I didn't learn my lesson the whole entire time I was in grad school <laughs> I was always taking debate and I was always just emotionally exhausted just it was so exhausting to always be the one um, to say no <laughs> that's not how we, that's not right um, and I fear and I see that in our students like um, this is a predominantly white middle-class campus and I see those students who are different and um, just take the bait each and every time. And it's just like, or even worse, I'm the, I might be the only person of color in the room as the professor and just have to be like, oh, crap. <laughs> and then have to, like, in a much more eloquent and um, professor way, um, engage with really violently racist um, just statements, comments, beliefs, and just try to unpack them. I mean, that's my job. This is something I chose, right? But when I see it in my students, it's just like, I had to take this semester alone, I had to take a few students aside and go, there's this thing called racial fatigue. <laughs> and you need to be wary of it. Um, I don't know if anybody else wants to talk about racial fatigue or even trans fatigue. Um, or if we want to just move away from trans and think about queer fatigue, right? Um, but I don't know if... Uh, Carly, you want to talk about a little bit about your experience? Yeah, I can. Um, um, I definitely experienced some racial fatigue um, just being at Westminster. I think that this is a topic that some white folks don't necessarily feel comfortable talking about. Um, that's just from my experience. But I would, I mean, I think what Levi hit on earlier about the fact that microaggressions are small but they build up over time and the effect that they can have on an individual are definitely not small Um, because I've had I mean I've had things happen in classes um, that are seemingly small like um, professors not wanting to try to pronounce my last name to um, people in classrooms constantly using the word we so if I'm the only person of color in a classroom which happens quite a bit at Westminster um, people will make these generalizations and kind of say well we need to remember about people of color or we need to remember to have diversity and I'm using air quotes right now you can't (laughs) see that over the microphone Um, and 
And I really don't appreciate that because what what that person is doing is kind of whitewashing me and and including me in in you know whiteness, which which I do not belong in. Um, so I think that it there is like definitely a fine balance between you know standing up and making space for yourself and changing the way that the class like you know the culture of the classroom and taking care of yourself at the same time and Eileen has been great in like checking me and saying are you taking care of your are you taking good care of yourself are you getting too fatigued um which is nice that you know you can basically we need I think that people of color trans individuals the queer community we need to like kind of like look out for each other in a way and just kind of make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. I think that that's something that's really important. I think the word we, um, when I was um, a grad student, I would use the word we a lot in the classroom, especially, I mean, I teach literature. And so um, I had one of one of my mentors who was in the African Studies Department, Anthony Hurley, who rocks. Um, he He's a lovely human being and I, Um, He invited me into his classroom to present on a novel that I love, and I kept saying, we, 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 and he stops me in the class and goes, who's we? (laughs) And I remember just being taken aback and going, I I was just like, I couldn't answer. I was just like stuttering all over the place. And he goes, do you mean you and the character? Um, And I was like, I I don't know. And he goes, well, then stop using we. (laughs) <laughs> and so it was this moment of recognizing difference. And I think as as a person of color, um, within even within my community, I do have to recognize those differences. And those differences, to stop using the word we is not um, it's not a negative thing. It's actually a good moment. I mean, you did it right now when you said we and then sp- specify what that we would be, right? It, what that we is in this space. Um, and I think that's extremely smart way of going about it what are the words you're using right um which is so hard to keep checking but um um yeah so i don't know um yeah so the we is is difficult um to use and i don't know if um using the term trans fatigue is the right way to go about it but i'm sure i'm i'm, I'm sure <laughs> that it, it there's something like that out there and i don't know if anybody else wants to speak to that um, I think that it's definitely something that happens where you're like the only one and you always have to either bring up trans things that are being said in class that are inappropriate and stuff like that. And it's it's really it's exhausting. But what I really liked that you said was that um, that that like you we need to take care of each other which we do but i think that actually checking in like are you okay is this too much for you to handle is a really good idea and i don't think that we do that in the trans community um we talk about like being activist and like being out there and like dealing with all of this hate all the time and maybe taking some time just to be like oh i just need you know some time away from all of this internet stuff and all this activism stuff because there's too much hate um but i think it's it's definitely a good idea to check in with no that's yeah I'm just I'm thinking about it as I'm saying it. I just think it's a really great idea but how can we do that as a community since our community is so like online and I mean the campus that I'm on there are trans people but we're not very close so how do we get a 
how do we become like super close and like not super close but like check in you know making well, that's sure. a myth also amongst people of color right like you have this we all know each other of well course. you have this history therefore it equates to the same thing right like carly and i are latinas therefore we have to be the same right mm-hmm. like you know i have to have the same history as somebody else of african descent and that doesn't really breed that's not enough i mean that's one of the tenets of black feminism um theory is just being black and woman is not enough um it it, it requires much more than that right um but yeah so i don't know um i mean checking in is is one way but what if there's nobody else to check in with yeah (laughs) yeah i didn't even think about that oh I think um, Carly kind of touched on this of like going outside if there is no one like if you are the token trans person or the token like Chicana woman or the token marginalized person who's representing all of your group and standing up constantly um, going outside of that direct community and maybe like reaching outside of that and asking for help if you're like a trans person asking for your friends and quote allies or are you looking for accomplice yes um it's my new favorite word (laughs) um because it's not simply a noun it's it's a verb and it's an ongoing effort um i think I think it's important to not only be there for people in your community, but also help others and help carry that weight of marginalized individuals, knowing your intersectionality, knowing how those things um, relate and not only relying on the one person of color to speak up for people of color, not relying on the only trans person to speak up on trans issues, like educating each other, but also taking the time and consideration to educate yourself, like not simply relying on trans people to educate you about trans issues and not simply relying on black people to educate you on white supremacy and black lives matter movement like taking your own responsibility and taking the time and consideration to educate yourself in order to help those in other more marginalized communities have space in these predominantly privileged white heteronormative spaces Um, so something that Carly kind of touched on in the night lane also is like, you know, defining this we and Maria Lagoons and towards a decolonial feminism talks about this thing as like fractured loci um, and kind of the idea of um, how all of us experience um, the colonialist process and being colonized different in a post-colonial world um, and how like that affects each of our standing within the world and you know she's advocating towards like a decolonial feminism basically um, but I think when we're defining like who is we and who are we talking about and like who is this community that you know it's basically fighting against this oppression um, we can include like queer people we can include people of color we can include like so many different types of people who are oppressed through colonialism who are oppressed through the coloniality of gender who are oppressed you know by these huge institutions that just don't want to listen to us that there's no reason that when we are the only one person there that we should feel so alone when we have these big communities that we can fall back on i think um so yeah just feeling into like self-care and stuff but the struggle then becomes how to breach 
those communities, right? Because yeah. right away, I mean, to suggest because I'm oppressed that I understand every other oppressed right. person is right. bullshit, right. right? Like, it's not. Um, you know, one of the... One of the things that I say to my students, and I always wonder how they take it, um, is that if racism was just a white people problem, then the solution would be really easy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's not it, right? Like, (laughs) internalized colonialism, you know, the way we internalize colonialism, the way we internalize racism, I mean, it's the same thing with Mm -hmm. um, transphobia, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's not, and homophobia, right? It's not... Mm -hmm. It's not located in this one specific spot. So when we try to come together as oppressed groups, I, you know, I've seen this happen so many times where it just becomes a hierarchy of who suffered the most? Yeah. Who is the most oppressed? The and you're sitting there Olympics. going, holy shit, if this is the way we're going to go about it, then we'll never leave. Like We'll never mm-hmm. get past the very first step, mm-hmm. which is how to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't, you know, yeah, what you said is extremely lovely, and I would love to support something <laughs> like that. Um, and there are moments when I'm like, yeah, we can. And then suddenly I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> and then I get really sad. And then I go watch TV. Because um, I can't think anymore, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. so I don't, breaching those boundaries is just... I don't know. I don't even know how to even think about it. Because within the community, like even amongst Puerto Ricans, amongst Caribbeaners, amongst people of you know like shared African t- uh, descent history, pff, we can't <laughs> we can't come together. Like we can't. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many fights I have with people on Facebook, and I'm like, why am I doing this? No one's paying me. <laughs> like at least they're paying me in the classroom. No one's paying me on Facebook, <laughs> and most of them are related to me. Oh, the no. ones that I'm fighting with. You know who you are. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that we probably have all experienced at some point or another feeling othered um, within your own community. And that in itself is a really difficult um, thing to like navigate and process and feel, figure out how to deal with that um, because you're supposed, like, you're already. in this minority group and you're already marginalized and then feeling at some point that you don't fit in in the places that you're supposed to fit in is such a hard like thing to process for yourself and yeah like how how do you do what do you do about that when you should be feeling so connected or could be feeling so connected in this identity or this community and then there's times when you still feel so othered from that because not everyone has the same experiences I don't know have you guys experienced or felt that or I think that um, goes back to what Chase was talking about last night Um, and part of his project in Trans Enough is that's one of the it's definitely one of the problems in uh, the trans community is, are you trans enough? What does that mean? Are you doing surgery and hormones correctly? Um, because there's no way to like go about feeling good in your own body and yourself and how you navigate society. But yeah, I think that's definitely, of course, like a problem in the trans community. In the Certainly in Puerto Rico, there's a, there's a phrase that's used... Um, for when someone's acting uppity or white. Um, and it comes from a poem um, from Fortunato Vicarondo's Y tu abuela donde esta. So when someone is acting up, 
you or when you catch yourself acting up in a way that's supposed to be white as opposed to be as opposed to Puerto Rican, um, the phrase in your grandmother, where is she at, um, pops up and right away that's supposed to like, there's that moment, there's always that reaction of, of course, we all have a black grandmother, right? A grandmother who was a slave. Um, and it's always that moment of, um, of checking yourself, um, which doesn't always work in the right way, <laughs> right? It's not like you have this moment of like, Oh, what did you just say to me? <laughs> and then it's like, oh, oh, you mean I'm, I'm, I'm misbehaving and I need to act in a different way? No, that's not, that's not how, it, how, how it works. Um, but also the idea of what it means to be black, right? Are you Chicana enough? Are you Mexican enough? Are you Puerto Rican enough? Are you Jamaican enough? And it's just like, well, what's the enough? Like, how much, what's, what's the weight? How many pounds of flesh do you want me to put out for you? Like, so that I could be something, right? Um, and I think that's a good way to where within the movements, right, we fracture and it just falls apart, right, when we start thinking about that. And I think that was something that, you know, yeah, Chase, that you brought up um, last night, and you, it's, it's actually present in, in your work, right? Like, that moment of, like, when when is it enough? When can I speak? And can I speak not for the whole, but for the experience that will help the group, right? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the whole, like, trans enough or what is enough and speaking for the community, it's just... All I can think about is the videos of the people who sent me... Like, the people who sent me the video clips that I put in the video, <laughs> uh, which is called like the Trans Enough Project, which Levi was talking about. Um, honestly, it's it. I can't believe some of the reasons why people don't feel trans enough. Like I believe it, but I can't believe that other people made them feel that way. Like it's just ridiculous. And this is people who are in the community making other people feel bad. And like, there's no manual. To, to be trans, you know, there's no like how to transition for dummies. Um, that doesn't exist, but some people do think that it exists, and that's what I really like. That's what I talked about yesterday, um, and I, I guess talking about it more and involving more people in the conversation maybe helps to break down barriers so that people understand that you are trans enough no matter what. If you identify as trans, you're trans. Like, period. That's it. That's you. Um, I don't understand why people in the community who are not, like, we're, we're all part of the same community, but they're still hating on other people. It's like, why do you want to be either, like, the most oppressed in the community, or why do you want to be deemed the most trans person ever? Why do you want to be on top? It doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why people do that. Patriarchy. <laughs> people like being top stuff. Someone whispers oh something, God. and we're gonna. <laughs> it's the patriarchy. <laughs> good old, good old. Well, there are certainly power and hierarchy. There's certainly power and hierarchy, right? Uh -huh. Like, where who gets to have the voice, right? And what's so sad is, is uh, not sad, frustrating. Fuck sad. Um, what's so frustrating <laughs> is that voices that are so marginalized and so often silenced, right? Um, I'm sure, Carly, you could speak to the idea of being silenced, right? Um, that when you finally get to speak, everything comes down on you and tries to just shut you up. Um, it is that moment of frustration, right? Like, I'm not speaking for everyone. I just want to voice this experience um, and this moment of frustration. And I think that that's something that um, 
It's just so shared amongst oppressed groups and marginalized groups. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that if people who are being oppressed do take it upon themselves to kind of speak up and um, kind of fight for themselves in a very courageous way, I think that it's invalidating in a very violent way when they're met with resistance or when they're met with, oh, you're making a big deal out of nothing or this, like, this isn't actually happening. So if people invalidate your, like, lived reality or your lived experience, I think that it can... I think that that can layer over time, and I think that it can just become, to the extreme, like internalized oppression, where you start to really doubt, like, am I actually having these experiences, which I'm sure that, I don't want to make assumptions, but I'm sure that, you know, other people, like, you know, can share this experience where you, well, I really start to doubt myself, and actually question, am I experiencing this, or... Like, am I making a big deal out of nothing? Am I being too emotional? Um, when in reality, and that just kind of shows how much power they have and how much privilege that they have. Because if you, if they tell you that what you're experiencing isn't real, over time you can actually start to believe that. And that just, again, that just kind of shows the position that they're in versus the position that you're in. And certainly when you start to doubt yourself, especially, I want to go back to the word accomplice. Um, when you start to doubt yourself, right, in the classroom space, then anyone else who, was, who would have thought, okay, what is, what is Carly saying? Like, what am I not understanding? Like, that person that would have made the shift to attempt to understand, right? If you start suddenly doubting and backing away, then it almost seems like all that effort was... And that's the part of the fatigue, right? All that effort was for nothing. Like, I'm climbing the stairs, I'm climbing the stairs, and I just can't get to the damn floor, right? Um, and I, I think maybe we could go back to the idea of accomplice and ally, because as a professor, it's completely different. Um, but as students um, and as community building, um, as Chase's um, with his work, um, how can, what is the role of those of us who don't experience that other uh, oppressed um, identity, right? Like, where do we go? What do we do? And what is that difference, Levi, between ally and accomplice? Well, and what um, do you want? What do you want us to be? Uh, the major difference, well, there are some differences. Um, one of the differences, one of the major differences between ally and accomplice is an accomplice is an active verb and it's constantly um, not only speaking up um, for injustices that they witness, but also um, kind of using their privilege in order to um, give the mic to someone who doesn't, is usually silenced and usually doesn't have that opportunity. Um, so exploiting your own privilege to give that to other people and not necessarily just like front running and being like I know what every black person wants therefore here <laughs> like no like giving giving the mic to people who are usually silenced and are usually marginalized and put on the outskirts but the word accomplice and I'm an English professor um, carries some seriously negative connotations, right? Like, I watch the ID channel a lot um, and Law and Order a lot, and so you know what happens to accomplices, right? Uh, yeah, it's a, 
there's the criminal aspect of it. So mm. are you encouraging all, all of us to be flipping tables and become criminals? Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> Carly, Carly, is, Carly is nodding her head. Um, I mean, yeah, like, don't just stand outside. You? Yeah? You can finish. Okay. Um, like, get get in there. Get get in with the people who are flipping tables and flip tables with them. <laughs> yeah, like I don't even need people flipping tables. Like in my experience at least just knowing um that like a professor or a classmate or a coworker or someone is has expressed in some way that they are either like open to learning about these issues or do have some knowledge like they don't have to be an expert on trans issues but if they make a point to show that they are willing to learn more or that they're aware of trans identities and things like that like even a tiny amount like that is like is a helpful thing is like knowing that there's someone kind of maybe in your corner like they even if i don't know this person is like gonna take a bullet for me you know if they're like maybe in your corner that's enough like that's that's bare minimum you know and like that in itself still holds a lot of weight and so i think that people don't realize that like even a little bit go doesn't go unnoticed among people that are needing support and need someone in their corner, you know? No one puts baby in the corner unless I'm also there to be an accomplice. <laughs> <laughs> that should yeah. be the name of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think would be the best practices, like, for everyone? What are the best practices for professors to be allies or accomplice. And you know, one of the fears this year, last year, last semester, during the spring semester, I started including in my syllabus, uh, my syllabi, um, the preferred name and preferred pronoun where I encourage my students to, um, if they feel safe, if they feel, only if they feel safe and if they want to, um, they could they could let us know the classroom, the classroom community, their preferred names and preferred pronouns. And there's also a video that Levi made um, as my research assistant on how to change your name on Canvas um, to your preferred name. Um, but one of the great fears that I have, especially when, you know, um, one of the great fears that I have is one, outing students, um, and two, um, when professors mishandle that. And I'm certainly um, no, uh, I'm not free of having not messed it up in class multiple times. And there's some people here who've been class with me who could speak to that. Um, but um, how do we not make it worse in our attempts to make it better, right? Because asking uh, my colleagues to put which we which I did <laughs> it's not it's not required but um, the department supported my request to put in um, preferred names and preferred pronouns on on syllabi across the campus um, how do we not mess that up right so instead of this moment of welcoming and creating space for um, for the, for the community we make it into a toxic space like, how do we, what is the best way to go about it? So this is a 
like an example of something going bad. Um, so I was an orientation leader, and on the first day, um, like all like twenty of us like sit down in like our little circle, and you know I introduce myself, you know what I'm about, and I'm like, so now we'll go around the circle, and I was like my preferred pronouns. I was like, and people will say their name, their preferred preferred pronouns, and we get like three people into it. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of queers. Everyone likes to use they them pronouns, and the fourth was like, I guess I also use they them pronouns. I'm like, oh my god, no, you guys are understanding. I wasn't saying that you have to use they the pronouns. I was saying that I use they the pronouns. <laughs> so like it was like person A, my name is this and I guess I use these pronouns. And it just kept going. I was like, stop. Stop. So I mean, and those were new students, right? This was first year orientation. Like they probably had never been even exposed to that language and I didn't even think about that just because like we live in a bubble um, on this campus sometimes. And it was like a really big slap in my face. Like I needed to tell them what this was before I asked them to do it. Well, I also asked students who who um, who are not trans, who who do not feel the you know who feel. I'm I'm a little tired because I stayed up till midnight with some people in this room, and I'm old, and so I'm really <laughs> losing it a little bit. But um, I asked all of my students, like when we go around, like um, to introduce ourselves, that everyone. Right. If you're gonna do it, then you know. Mm. So it's not like I'm pointing out and I'm, you right. know, like, like queer. all the trans kids. <laughs> I want to know them. Stand up. <laughs> Tell me who you are. <laughs> um, and I and I wonder if, like, I wonder if asking those of us who sit with our privilege of our gender, you know, our pronouns, of because students are so confused. They're like, she and her, <laughs> <laughs> he and him. And so, it's... I mean, the public school system isn't very good at teaching English oh 101. Like, the word pronoun doesn't mean anything to most people. They're like, I don't know. Like, like is that a sub... Like, what? Is that a, a noun? Is that a verb? A verb? Yeah. So I feel like that's, like, at least 50% like of the problem. As the assistant director of the writing center, I second that. Like, people don't know shit. Well, for those of you out there who don't know what pronouns are, oh, like, they are... Like, like, uh, for all of you people out there... <laughs> <laughs> For all of you out there who, which, who don't know what pronouns are, it is the article used to describe the subject when you are not directly addressing them. No, yeah, yeah, as the name, <laughs> as their name, um, and or, uh, the subject as a person or an object. But typically, when you're talking about people, you don't use the word it. A pronoun it. Don't. <laughs> So is there a better way? I mean, I wait. I don't do it the first day. I show clips. I wait. I let them think about it. Most of them you get probably the weekend. You get the weekend. Yes, <laughs> you get the weekend to think about it. Um, and again, that's just such a minor step, mm. mm-hmm. right? Because in the classroom, other horrible things happen, right? Um, for as a person of color, when a, there were classes that I took. And it was just like 20th century American literature. And I took classes where there wasn't a single person of color on that list. And you're sitting there going, wow, not even a 20th century. <laughs> like, I get the 16th, even though there are writers. But the 20th, damn. Um, um, like, so there are other issues that we have to address. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Any last thoughts? And how so your to- question is how we don't make it worse? 
Yes, how does Eileen not make it worse in the classroom? <laughs> Simply, yeah. <laughs> no, how do we, no, how do we not, how do professors not make it worse? I think simply allowing for that space um, for, like, not only just the stu- the trans student to be like, these are my pronouns, and everyone else is like, I'm just John. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> allowing, like, making it a normal, like, conversational or introduction aspect of being like, my name is Levi and I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. Like having everyone and have that be a normalized thing. Um, so it's not just specifically outing or like, well, it's not specifically pointing to trans people um, and having them be like the special person who gets, who also has to say all these like X, Y, and Z. And I think another, um, I had another thing, I forgot it. There we go. <laughs> I'll cut in. Um, I think also acknowledging, obviously, like professors hold a position of power um, that kind of can set the tone or the mood for the classroom. And so um, if a professor like is like has a pronouns thing in their syllabus, but then is like, well, whatever, here's this, and like dismisses it, then I believe that gives agency to the rest of the people in the class to dismiss it as well. And so if a professor's not taking that seriously, um, that really can reflect. And so if a professor's very adamant about showing that this is an important issue and that trans people's pronouns will be respected in the classroom and stuff, like that's that really does hold a lot of power over how the rest of the class behaves. Yeah, I think definitely taking it seriously and, um, well, first of all, asking students if, like, maybe sending them an email or something and be like, hey, if someone uses the wrong pronoun for you, would you like me to step up? Would you like a fellow student to step up? Um, Or would you like to correct them yourself? Um, But going back to what you said of of, um, the professor taking the initiative to be like, this is something important. Um, And if professors don't want to speak up for themselves or like do the research there is um minus 18 a australian uh youth organized lgbtq plus activist group made an amazing campaign about pronouns um in which there's a video explaining what pronouns are um and there's multiple non-conforming identity um teens who go through what pronouns are, why they're important, um, what it means, like how you feel when someone misgenders you or doesn't use the right pronouns. So there are there are things out there where you don't, if you feel like you're not enough educated, that you can have someone else, a video come in and, and tell everyone what pronouns are. And there's also, during in that pronoun campaign, there's a web app where you can practice people's pronouns. And there's many pronouns in there. One of the things that I liked about um, um, Chase's, um, your presentation, um, your lecture, was that you pointed out not all trans lives are tragic. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Revolutionary. Wow. <laughs> and that's something also that, um, uh, as people of color, we have to remind folks that not all not all our lives are tragic, regardless of how hard they try to kill us and burn down our churches. Um, but I wonder if we could end with some positive notes. Because this is all extremely positive. <laughs> yes. But um, if we all could just end 
with a positive note so it's not just us wagging our fingers at folks or um it's tables. flipping yeah. tables yes well, maybe we could just get on the table <laughs> and dance <Set> the table. <laughs> <laughs> well that's if they're still listening <laughs> maybe we were too angry <laughs> oh, maybe we're too long <laughs> we should sorry <laughs> that would be apologizing i'm canadian <laughs> Um, yes, uh, just quickly, in my talk yesterday, I, I, I just talked about like media representation, how everything is always associated with like death and violence and deviance within trans lives, and sometimes they're not directly associated, like a trans person dies, but they don't die because they're trans. But because they died and they are trans, people associate negative feelings towards trans people, and there are, it's so rare to see a trans person in the media or even in the news that just like just lives their life and like is happy and like yes we know that bad things happen and we are aware of them and we talk about them but we also have lives outside of being trans and we also have careers and we have families and children and cats and stuff like that and lots of cats huh uh, yeah lots of cats yeah <laughs> i see you uh, <laughs> and uh i think we just need to start focusing um our attention a little on some positive aspects so that people understand that we are human and we're not always like super depressed about being trans yes it's bad sometimes it's bad to be trans and like things happen but also people i feel like people outside this little bubble don't really know not this bubble here in the podcast but you know the little queer trans bubble that we have um like we know that we 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 have happy lives with the people outside like unless they're directly connected to us they don't know that we're okay you know i don't know yeah, trans people exist and have always existed and will always <laughs> exist. And so, yeah. We're not just trans people. <laughs> We're people <laughs> who, like, make YouTube videos, have lives, have families, like, normal, happy families who care for each other. And um, I think what that's one of the reasons I enjoyed your videos is because it's, like, the humanized aspect of, like, trans people just living their lives like not like constantly worried about safety and hormones and all those things like yeah that's a thing but also like there's happy times and there is like built community that's fantastic i'm not sure how many people have seen the um cosmopolitan had has this little clip um, of a family that lives in Brooklyn who discussed their um, when they when their child um, indicated that the gender assigned at birth is not their correct gender, and it was this wonderful. It was just this lovely. So cute. Yeah, beautiful family, beautiful home, like a brownstone in Brooklyn. Um, ridiculous, um, but <laughs> gorgeous people, right? And it was this moment of it wasn't a tragedy. The mother did not treat the the child as oh my god the horror right like mm -hmm. you will be hurt or like you know that 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 wasn't the reaction was such a such a relief right such a wonderful way of portraying okay so this is yeah this is it it's good let's move forward um cool. <laughs> right um so it doesn't always have to be we have the power to change it right it doesn't always have to be a negative horrible tragedy like no this is great this is a human who will who will hopefully live a very long and fruitful life well we should thank chase for allowing us not only to keep him so many days 
Make him wake up at ridiculously early hours and then show up at a restaurant that's closed. Oh my god. <laughs> but also force him to eat two hours in between. Force after, him. after the biggest breakfast of my entire life. Here, have pizza. Welcome to the United States. <laughs> um, Our favorite hobby is eating. Bless. <laughs> and asking you to go to high school, talking to our high school kids, talking to our students, talking to our administrators. You did a lot. Thank you. Well, I mean, I got cupcakes that were like after after my cats. Oh my god, it looked like my cats. So I'm okay. I'm good. No. Are you trying to say you want to eat your cats? Yes. Oh, <laughs> is that not a normal thing? Us trans people do that. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, and I again, thank you, <laughs> and thank you for everyone for participating in this. I know it's Friday, and you, some of you, were sleeping. Mm. Thank you to ASWC for lending us this magnificent recording. Um, equipment and thank you to Carly for being an amazing Lee Co- Lee president leader president leader. leader president <laughs> of the feminist club Woo. Woo. do you want to tell folks when do we meet oh sure um, so we're having our meeting next Monday so not the one after this weekend but the week after that and then for our very last meeting, which is on um, November 30th, we're going to be meeting at Sugar House Coffee, and it's going to be more of a social event where um, it's modeled after, so it was Eileen's idea, it's modeled after um, a documentary on Netflix called Mortified Nation, where people are going to be getting up uh, on like an open mic situation and reading um, little pieces of their diaries from when they were a little oh no <laughs> god no <laughs> so, it's gonna be great I'm not excited <laughs> and um so yeah that's that's on november 30th from 8 to 10 at sugar house coffee and then if you're interested in being added to the feminist club um email list you can just email me on westminster like our facebook page it's westminster feminist club on facebook Yes, and um, yeah, my email is cdt0412. Yay! Thank you. Woo! 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 <laughs> Woo!